0: Welcome to Geared for Growth. I'm your host, Mike Mortlock, Managing Director of MCG, Quantity Surveyors and Tax Appreciation Expert. Today, we've got a special episode where we're talking about all things that Southerners need to know about buying in Brisbane. Now, I'm not sure if that was a little bit of a slight on us Southerners, but there are some interesting nuances about buying in Queensland and specifically in Brisbane as well. And with Brisbane really being a hot market for property investors over the last couple of years, it's important that we understand some of those nuances, everything from the way contracts work to flood mapping to just some of the nomenclature and weird ways of describing things that Brisbaneites have and to navigate us through that quagmire is Lauren Jones. She runs Lauren Jones Buyers Agency in Brisbane and she gives us some great tips for anyone that's looking to purchase in greater Brisbane including some of her hot picks for growth suburbs as well. It's a great interview with Lauren and I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. Here's Lauren. Lauren Jones, thanks for joining me on Geared for Growth. Hello. Thank
1: you for having me.
0: It's a pleasure. Although, you know, we'll get to the end just to see how much I believe that. Um, pleasure. <laughs> we were just talking off air that i got to, you know, you and I have known each other for a long time, but there's already some pretty thick banter. So I, I've already broken the rules that I said beforehand, but let's try and get serious. We're talking about what Southerners need to know about buying in Brisbane. Now, th- my first question is, did you intentionally try to um, make Southerners hate you? Because, you know, there there are a few turf wars going on. I got some hate mail from people in Perth recently due to an episode that I did but you know are you expecting a bit of a backlash by calling us southerners
1: I don't think so and I think so many people are moving up here that maybe they don't want to be southerners at all anymore Mm.
0: they identify as Queenslanders
1: (laughs) they're Um, wanting to identify as Queenslanders I think
0: Now, this is a serious episode because there are some big differences in buying in Brisbane as opposed to anywhere in New South Wales or Victoria. And and according to our data, Queensland has been the number one place for property investors for the longest time. It's only just recently had a blip where it's come second to Perth. And as you mentioned, there's been a mass exodus from the southern states and from an affordability perspective an affordability point brisbane is is still offering some good opportunities at least for the moment so when it comes to buying in queensland for someone that's only ever had investment properties or owner properties in victoria or new south wales what are some of the key differences that stand out for you as a buyers agent
1: i work with a lot of people buying interstate whether they're you know from sydney and not wanting to raise their family in a one bedroom apartment or even the other end of the spectrum where they're retirees, they've sold out, whether it be regional New South Wales or wherever it may be, and they just wanna come up for a little bit of sun. I think probably a big thing is the contract process here in Queensland is very different to how the contract process is mainly in New South Wales with the whole exchange, we don't have that here, Um, and also other states as well. So um, I guess there's a few things Like we pretty much go to contract and then we can do most of our due diligence after. We're not a massive auction city. Uh, So most of the time you'll be negotiating um, either on a contract or just with an expression of interest. There are a few things to note, I guess, once you do go under contract that are different than in other states. So um, with us, we do get a five business day cooling off unless you waive that at auction. Um, However, you do get a 0.25% penalty rate. So we never want to be terminating on cooling off where we can, just because you can get penalized for that. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing that's recently been introduced, I believe January last year, is an extension of settlement. So if either party uh, needs an extension of settlement, because, you know, maybe the bank can't settle or your funds haven't come into bank, you can simply get this five business day extension. There's no request that can be, you know, granted or denied, you simply get it. So I always warn people, especially if you're moving up uh, interstate, do not book your removal list for the day of or the day after settlement. Be prepared for a settlement extension to happen. Um, there are other things as well that have recently introduced like smoke alarm. So you need your smoke alarm compliance certificate that needs to be provided by the seller prior to settlement or you can get money back at settlement to have it uh, have it done. Um, and another thing, I actually just had a contract done yesterday. It was a man from Adelaide looking to buy up here. Wasn't sure if they were going to put it in his his name or in his father's name. And the father kept suggesting just put and or nominees on the contract. Hmm. We can't do that here in Queensland. And it can actually be quite risky. Like we can mitigate the risk as best we can by having certain conditions in a contract. Um, but I think my solicitor was telling me about 12 years ago, there was a case where the Queensland Revenue Office found out and they actually charged that buyer double stamp duty on the property.
0: Oh, my mm-hmm. gosh. well, you Queenslanders have got a bit of a reputation for, you know, getting stuck in on land tax. I mean, we had a good crack at that, but it got repealed, thankfully. But- one time. <laughs> yeah, one time. And now you're just you're trying to pinch, you know, double stamp duty. Gee, that would be painful.
1: I think extremely rare, but still a risk. And it's, mm. I guess, our job as a buyer's agent to let that that buyer know that that risk is associated. Plus, you've also got to pay, um, like you've got to rescind the contract and there are fees associated with that and you've got to pay it for the sellers too. So even doing that, you might be up for an extra $1,500 um, on your contract if you decide to change the purchase entity after you've bought it.
0: Right. So let's let's go back to exchange. You don't have an exchange. So like... I guess from a legal point of view, that's where we get the the seller or the vendor has the contract. That's all the terms like here's the address and here's all the bits that come with it. Like you can have the clothesline, all that sort of stuff. Here's the price. And then, you know, the purchaser will sign that and then it goes to solicitors and some magic things happen and a settlement's booked and, you know, they swap money and all that sort of stuff. But really the exchange is kind of the done deal and buyers are taught, you know, You've got no security until you exchange, right? You can be gazump. So how is that different in Queensland?
1: So here, generally, the sales agent will actually draw up the contract. It's not drawn up by solicitors here. Um, I think another thing to mention is that there's very little disclosure required on these um, contracts of sale that we're signing to. So a lot of the time we can actually negotiate on contract as well. That tends to be my preferred method. So what we actually do is when we submit an offer, we submit an offer on a contract signed. And what we tend to request is a countersigned offer from the sellers. They go into the contract, they cross out the price. So there's 950, they cross it out, write a million. They initial the change, they sign the contract, they send it back to you. You then initial the change, boom, done deal. Really? Um, So you can't get presumpt once you're under contract, you're under contract, even if they get an offer $200,000 higher, too bad, too sad.
0: Yeah. So if you execute your end of the deal, then they are stuck. The only way out for them is that if you renege and you would pay a penalty for reneging as well. Say again, sorry. Uh, yep. The only way out for, say, the the sellers, if they get a higher offer, is if you don't execute your side of the contract and your side of the bargain, and then you would get a penalty as well, right, if you're not going through after you're under contract.
1: Yeah, so if you breach your contract and they've got a higher offer, they'll pretty much just terminate on you. Yeah. Um, but here, we're almost all of the contracts I will get together for clients they will have conditions. They'll be subject to um, finance. They'll be subject to building and pest. Um, and if it's a townhouse or unit, it'll be subject to a body corp record search as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really important. I've, I've had to terminate on this search in the past. Mainly, um, actually, the only one I've really had to terminate on was there was maintenance reports dating back to 2014 of this complex. And they'd had cracking in the building and rusted lintels. If you know what a lintel is? Right, yep. Um, Of course you do. And (laughs)
0: I've got a construction degree. (laughs) Everything is going to be okay.
1: Um, And no one had addressed it. So from all these old reports, I was able to send a report to a structural engineer, and just by looking at it on Google Maps, the structural engineer could tell me that the whole building needed to be underpinned um, and all the lintels needed to be replaced. So this is maybe a $300,000 job. Yeah. Um, so we, we really kind of never skip these body corporate record searches here in Brisbane. I've heard of other horror stories of special levies as well. Yeah. I heard of one in a big apartment complex where they were raising a, a big special levy because they wanted to uh, replace every door, every window on the entire complex. And each a unit was going to be up for a $60,000 special levy. So mm. in that instance, if you don't have the $60,000, you might look to put your property on the market and sell yeah. it. And yeah. someone then without doing their due diligence might buy that property. And then, you know, next quarter gets slammed with the $60,000 special levy.
0: Mm. And, you know, I'll, I'll disclose my bias here, but we do do some work in the capital works fund sinking fund space. And it's absolutely crucial to look, to see whether they've got an, an adequate adequate sinking fund to cover those future repairs and maintenance. And, and many times we'll prepare a report and then they'll go, okay, no, that the, the we don't want to pay that much per quarter. So we'll, we'll scribble that, scribble that out. We'll scribble that out. and Oh, look, we're just back to what we were paying before. Yay. Um, And that might seem really good for the people that are living there and paying that. But, you know, eventually those costs are going to hit and you don't want to be hit by that. Right. Mm. Now, when it comes so the, the focus of the podcast was was Southerners buying in Brisbane, right? So we've talked a little bit about Queensland specific things, but there's some Brisbane specific things as well. One of them is flooding. Now I never really thought too much about Brisbane and flooding. Obviously there's a river, but it sort of does seem a little bit further down from the, the city. But, you know, it does a great flood, the city of Brisbane. Um, What is there in and around flooding that people can look at and how does that find its way into contracts?
1: Mm -hmm. You're not going to find anything about flooding in any contract. There is simply no disclosure required for that in Queensland. I believe there's talk of that coming into play. Um, But for the moment, you've pretty much got to ask. An agent will have to tell you if the property has flooded that they're aware of. But there are two good online resources you can check. The first is the city plan that will show you what kind of flood risk is associated. And the second is the Brisbane flood awareness map. So two totally different websites, um, both run by the Brisbane city council. Other councils will have similar kind of um, city plans and flood checker reports as well. Let's focus on Brisbane city council. So there, there are three types of flooding in Brisbane. The first is Brisbane river flooding, pretty obvious. The Brisbane river rises and Uh, A lot of the adjacent suburbs like Bulimba, New Farm, West End, they tend to go underwater. Um, The second is river or creek flooding. So um, probably the inner north, I would say, is the worst for this with the Kedron Brook. And a lot of areas like um, Windsor and Wilston do suffer quite a bit there. Um, But the third one that a lot of people don't know about is overland flow. And this can happen in any suburb, even away from, you know, your big bodies of water. So Overland float essentially is just where the way that the the rain follows the natural contours of the land. Mm. And it can actually be a lot worse than your river or creek flooding because it can move at such a pace. Right. Um, so a lot of people just think, you know, oh, a suburb like, I don't know, Stafford won't flood. But there will be parts in every suburb that will have these overland flow, And you definitely need to check out for that.
0: Yeah. So... I mean, if you use a buyer's agent or you're doing your proper due diligence, you know, there's easy ways to mitigate that, right? But don't expect the contract or the agent to say, just to let you know, this floods like the blazes.
1: Absolutely not. Um, And also on the flood awareness map tool, there's a pretty cool, um, if you click on, I believe it's the layers section, you can actually click either flood risk, or you can actually view where the last three major floods have happened so flooding happens in different suburbs in different years so you can actually click and see: did it happen in the last flood or did it happen you know pre-1974 yeah. um so that's pretty cool to check as well but definitely check it and if it is in a even an area with a with flood risk some people have a high risk tolerance and maybe the house is raised and maybe they're willing to to purchase those kinds of properties, especially if they're capped on budget or they want to live in a suburb like West End or Bulimba, um, run uh, an insurance premium quote. Mm. I spoke to a lady a little while ago. She was trying to convince me to, um, I guess, say yes to her to buy this property backing on the Bremer River in Ipswich. And it was a low purchase price. It was about $500,000. Told her to run an insurance report and it came in at about $16,000 per year.
0: Ouch. Ouch. Yeah. And could there also be locations where flood cover is not even offered by insurers?
1: Oh, I'm pretty sure it's almost always offered, I think.
0: You just got offered. to pay to play, right?
1: Yeah, I think so. And the problem is as well is that you, you only need your certificate of currency to settle with a bank. yeah. And that, that comes once you've gone unconditional.
0: So if right. you're already
1: unconditional in a contract and then you find out that your insurance premiums are going to be $16,000 a year, you run your risk of losing the whole deposit that you've already paid on the property. And if, say, for instance, you buy for a million dollars and then they can only sell it for 900,000, they can actually sue you for that difference that they weren't able to get again as well.
0: Yeah, that's that's something that we've come across before that's very different to New South Wales is that um, people will settle on a property and they'll maybe look at insurance after, but it really has to be in place at settlement. And that can make a time constraint for, okay, well, What do I actually insure it for? Um, And we've got all sorts of data talking about how construction cost calculators for the insurance space are rubbish. And it Mm -hmm. takes some time to get an expert out to do it as well. So people have got to be cognizant of that. One thing that I think is a bit of a surprise that I wanted to ask you about is the Brisbane turf war. What -hmm. can you tell us about the Brisbane turf war of, of which side is the best. It's like that uh, American thing, that, that the west side and the east side, there's gang symbols. I'm not going to try and do that. I don't want to get a drive-by in the face. But um, how serious is it in Brisbane?
1: Look, as far as I know, there aren't any gang symbols for the <laughs> north versus the south side.
0: That's a shame.
1: I, I could be wrong. Um, but, yes, there is a massive rivalry between the north and the south side. You're either a north-sider or, or a south-sider. Some people moving up, they kind of pick. And then once you've picked, you don't really tend to move across the border, so to speak. Once you do try to cross the river to the south or the north, it can it can get very time consuming. Um, but most people say that if they were to go to the north side versus the south side, it just feels like another world. Um mm. And I, I moved to Brisbane about six years ago and I 100% agree. I'm a North Sider. I won't really venture down to the South unless, of course, I'm buying a property for a client or there's some other reason to go down there. But it just, it just doesn't feel right. You, you're not used to the same amenities, the same roads. Um, but there are, I guess, a few key difference, differences between the North and the South. So um, the South Side tends to have better motorway access. Mm -hmm. um the south side tends to have more of your best um public high schools um i guess because of that the south side tends to be more multicultural as well so there's a lot more asian communities on the south side especially in areas like Sunnybank. um i do believe though that the north side tends to have more of your big employment hubs so the cbd is on the north side um two of your biggest universities are on the north side and your brisbane airports on the north side Um, You've obviously got Westfields and things like that as well, hospitals. um, But the, yeah, the North side does tend to be cheaper up until a certain point, basically. So North, North and the South, Brisbane city council consumes maybe like 17 K ring of the city on the North side. Then you go into Moreton Bay council on the South side. Once you go past that, you go into Logan city council. Once you keep moving North, into Morton Bay Council, the demographics stay quite good, incomes are quite strong, newer homes as well. Once you move on to the south side, the demographics tend to drop, incomes tend to drop, and crime tends to rise. So mm. in that kind of inner ring, though, the north side tends to be cheaper than the south.
0: And why, why is that? Be, it, because, like... If I think about my time in Brisbane, which admittedly is mostly on a scooter, but you, I still cross the river regularly because it's kind of nice. I mean, the river is a bit gross; it's sort of brown like the Yarra. I'm used to, um, you know, cleaner waterways, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, being a late Macquarie local, but um, the south side on the river, you've got, you know, when 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 the like Channel Seven news sort of reports from there, it's always on that little lagoony beachy sort of thing and then there's the lovely archways with the um, now maybe these are just touristy things that you're going to laugh at me for enjoying but you know they've got the archway with all the greenery on and they've got the lovely restaurants you know there seems to be like 18 different japanese restaurants there and i've, <laughs> I've tried at least 16 of them um is proximity to that where people are paying a premium but that's really it
1: See, that kind of South Bank precinct, I find, tends to be more tourists. Yeah, here
0: we go. Yeah. I knew it was Um, coming.
1: Well, so I guess housing in close proximity to that, you're mainly looking at West End. And West End is a lot of high-rise apartments Mm. um, or small character homes. And a lot of the area floods as well. Um, So that's, that's really more a kind of tourist part of the city.
0: Yeah. So where, where are the locals, where are the sort of moneyed locals on the south side living? What are the suburbs?
1: On the south side, mm. uh, Camp Hill is always um, pretty hot and pretty desirable. Holland Park as well. Yep. Um, and Balimba, Norman Park, East Brisbane, those kind of inner suburbs. And what's interesting as well is that a lot of those suburbs do flood as well. Right. Um, and people just kind of accept the fact that to live in those areas in a particular property, you've got that flood risk.
0: Mm. And, you know, I've done a little bit of work on some of those south side suburbs that you mentioned, I think Camp Hill. Um, that's where you get those traditional Queenslander style homes, which are kind of fl- flood proof because they're on stilts, right? Like, so the the image, the quintessential image that us dirty Southerners perhaps have <laughs> is that all your houses are on these big posts. So, you know, flooding isn't really an, an issue, but there's not that many of those homes around the Brisbane CBD anymore, is there?
1: Uh, most of the homes, I guess, in a couple of Ks from the city have been knocked down and they've turned into high-rise, yeah. but you still see them in a few suburbs, like I guess the inner north, like Windsor-Wilston is full of them, Clayfield's full of them, um, but the stumps, you, you never know how, how high a flood's going to rise. Mm. um and a lot of them simply just weren't built up on that um even you know they may have flooded in the past and the next person will go along and buy it knowing that it floods and they'll plan to raise it to to reduce that risk for themselves but a lot of the time it just kind of gets forgotten
0: Mm. yeah interesting Um,
1: but it's funny as well a lot of um i guess southerners wouldn't understand our lingo in brisbane so we were talking about this before where a lot of the time when you're buying property in brisbane agents you'll hear them referring to it as a post-war or a pre-war yeah. home so, pre-war, so we're talking
0: world war ii right yes because there's been a few wars um yeah. but world war ii six. right okay
1: Um, And as well, so even um, a lot of the demolition control is based around these pre-war, post-war homes. So if you're ever on that city plan and you notice that something is pre-1946 and it has what's called a traditional building character overlay or TBC as we call it. If it's got both of those things, you can't demolish it. If it's Mm. one or the other, you can demolish it.
0: Yeah, okay. So they're saying that it has historical significance, just a heritage overlay as we might call it here in uh, the South.
1: Yeah, we've got heritage overlays as well, but this is slightly different. Like any any post-war home you can knock over. Um, Another funny thing is in Brisbane, we refer to a double-storey home as a high-set home, even if it's not legal height underneath. And same with a single story. You, know, you won't really hear anyone called a single story. It's always
0: called a low-set home. Um, can I just put out there that that is ridiculous? Mm-hmm. Okay. High-set or low-set? Yeah, mm-hmm. look, I've heard that before and, and I don't know what I thought it meant, but now you've basically just said has it got stairs or not, you know, in internal stairs. Like that seems to be the big difference, high-set or low-set. I I sort of said, yeah, double story versus single story. Yeah, okay, all right. Um, you just don't, like... <laughs> Unimpressed, I mean, aren't you? <laughs> well, you know, like I, I bought a car in Brisbane and flew up there and drove home, you know, not that long ago. It's not that far, but, you know, you've just, you know, you've got... Gang signs. You you don't know how to label houses properly. You know it just it just goes to show that there's quite a lot of differences. Um, another difference uh, that I was interested in in hearing about is the Torrens versus Strata titled stuff in, in New South Wales and and perhaps I'm not as aware in Victoria, um, but we do have a lot of, um, of Torrens title or, or freehold title townhouses, but in Queensland, does, does that, is that a very rare thing or does it just not exist?
1: So you do get freehold townhouses here, but it's rare and you pay an absolute premium for them. I guess this is probably also like a terminology or lingo thing as well. A lot of townhouses, what you would refer to as in places like Melbourne, we would just call that, like classify that as a small lot home. Right, Um, okay. Whereas townhouses for here tend to be in, you know, these complexes, four or more, um, and often will have adjoining walls as well. But to get those without a body corporate is very rare. Our body corporate fees here tend to be quite high as well. So, for an average, you know, unit or townhouse, you're probably looking between four and five thousand dollars at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a large amount of that does tend to be insurance premiums, which I guess are high here, just because being in Queensland, we've got a lot more like natural disaster, natural disaster kind of risks. Um, but yeah, it's it's even interesting in suburbs like Mount Omni, Uh, In the Western suburbs, they've got courts over there and these courts are almost essentially on their own little body corporate as well. Um, Courts? Courts, yeah, so the courts of Menominee. There's quite a few of them. The body corporate fees are cheap, you're about $400, but it still comes with its own bylaws. Um, And, you know, they might have a nice little sign at the front of the court and all the owners in that court have to pay for the electricity for that sign. Right. Um, and for garden maintenance around the time and then for any accounting because they've got to run a company to own the body corporate as well.
0: Mm, yeah, interesting. So there's a couple of yeah nuances to, to purchasing up there that we really should know if we're getting in there. And, and, and another one um, is that there are certain – parts of the country where orientation is is key. I think my Victorian friends tend to talk about it much more than us <laughs> Novocastrians, but talk to us about orientation in in Brisbane. What sort of premium would you pay for say a northeast facing property compared to a south facing property?
1: Orientation doesn't really affect the price of property here. And it's funny because I obviously obviously speak to home buyers every single day. And I couldn't tell you the last time any home buyer has indicated to me that they want any kind of orientation. Mm. It's our our temperature is very livable year round. So it's not like places like Melbourne where you can't go outside at all in winter months if you don't have a north facing yard.
0: Mm. I mean um, wh- Without this sounding too much like a tourism Queensland uh, advertisement, th- there has to be there has to be some value in the sun popping up in a certain location of the property. Like, is there not sort of mould issues or is it just, you know, do Queenslanders not like, you know, sitting on the, the balcony having their morning cup of tea as the sun sort of comes up in their face? So is it just, it just isn't a thing?
1: I mean, I guess sunsets probably pay into a thing, but you're not really going to pay anything extra for it. Probably the, mo- the most effective thing is the Western sun. That is brutal here. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of, um, I guess, even unit complexes and things like that, they'll actually have shutters only on the Western side just because right. it can heat your house up like crazy. But, yeah, it's similar to even flight pass, Flight paths here don't impact the price of
0: property. Mm. See, I love flight paths. Um I, you know, cause I like aviation. Right. so I, I covered them, but in most parts, I mean, the, I've, I've seen retracted forums that are getting very heated about, oh, the flight path for the new, um, Western Sydney airport has been announced and how's that going to influence values and everyone getting very jazzed up about that. But what is it that's peculiar about say Brisbane is the, the planes aren't, you know they're coming in over the ocean a little bit more, or a Brisbaneite's just a little bit more enthusiastic about aviation. what 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 do you put that down to?
1: I don't think it's an enthusiasm about aviation. It's
0: a shame. I hope um, it was.
1: So most of the planes in the past used to come in from the south, so areas like Morningside would get really hit hard with um, the, the noise. But since we've got this second runway, There's been a lot of other areas that are now getting impacted by flight noise. So I live um, in Ascot and only now do I ever really hear planes. Um, But there's been there's been also kind of dramas and talks about what they're going to do with the second runway. And they don't know who's going to get affected, where they are going to put these planes? So there's even been talks that, you know, on a Monday, they'll run it over by Wynnum. On a Tuesday, they'll run the planes over Ascot and just have like a little cycle. So I don't actually know what's going to happen there someone's always going to get upset but Mm. yeah i don't think at the end of the day it'll impact property prices at all because it hasn't on the south and some of those inner south areas where you get the highest noise pollution from planes are some of the most expensive areas in brisbane
0: Mm, interesting maybe rich people like aviation more i'm trying i'm really trying (laughs) here. anyway um let's uh Let's finish it off, if you wouldn't mind, with, okay, we've talked about the nuances of buying in in Brisbane. I've certainly learned a lot and I'm sure anyone that's not from Brisbane has as well. But, you know, this is a property investing podcast and everyone is going to want to know, Lauren, where are the hot locations? You talked about the north being cheaper in some respects, apart from, you know, you're going out of a tight ring in the south and then it gets a little bit different with your, you know, social CFA scores plummeting and that sort of thing. But where do you see opportunity for investors? And maybe I can frame that by saying, look, investors typically will engage at a lower price point. Our data is, is kind of saying that, you know, the average price people are paying for investments in and around or in Queensland is around that sort of 700 mark, 750, probably at a stretch. Where are some of those locations where you're seeing good opportunities for capital growth?
1: So i say the same most of the um investors that engage with me they tend to be around the six to seven hundred thousand dollar mark i actually won't purchase property for investors under six hundred thousand dollars anymore i think you compromise too much on both the asset and the location mm-hmm. i tend to find the best value in around that southern moreton bay region um however it is one of the hottest markets at the moment so I think the two hottest markets in Brisbane at the moment are your two bed units, like within maybe a seven or eight K ring from the city, you're getting 50, 60, 70 groups through these properties at the moment and you're getting 20 to 30 written offers. Again, it is nuts. I'd say that second, that the under probably $800,000 house price, that's probably, I guess, equal or second most um, hot market at the moment. I was talking to an agent the other day who listed a property in Moray field which is uh, next to Kabulcha. So it's got quite a bad reputation for, I guess, high crime, lower de- demographics. He listed the property online. He had 97 groups through the first open home and 45 written offers. Oh,
0: my gosh. Wow. Um,
1: so I think those are the two hottest markets at the moment. Whether if you buy into those markets at the moment, you're almost paying a premium, who knows? Hmm. Um, but, yeah.
0: Are there any sleepers, ones that really haven't been growing that you kind of see as having some... Um, potential you know maybe maybe they're ugly duckling suburbs that are about to turn into swans or just areas that you think are a bit undervalued.
1: I think there's two suburbs in the north and that would be Geebung and Brackenridge. Both of those you need you know 800 to a million to get into though. and the reason why I think they're going to go really well at least over the next 12 months is that they performed really badly over the previous 12 months in the high interest rate environment with tight construction. So a lot of the homes there are older homes, maybe 70s or 80s, and they need a little bit of love. But those they're they're just starting to pick back up again now because people are willing to do renovations and they're pushed out price-wise again. So I think those two suburbs will do really well over the next 12 months.
0: And just one last question on the market, if you wouldn't mind. Uh Post COVID, Brisbane went bananas to the point where we were talking, you know, almost like 30 grand a month prices were moving. And then it sort of seemed to sort of have a little, it went, had a bit of a cup of tea, a couple of deep breaths, and then it went again. (laughs) Um, What, what are you seeing on the ground with Brisbane? How much more do you think it has to run in the cycle?
1: See, I think it'll go at least another six months, maybe the full 12 months and it's supply and demand. There is Mm. so much demand at the moment and so little stock. I've never, I've never found it harder to buy property. Buying property during the COVID boom was a piece of cake compared to buying now. At least there was stock back then. Now there's lots of demand and no stock. Mm
0: interesting well it's a challenge for people that are wanting to to get involved there but you've highlighted some good areas and you've given us a really good overview about some of the interesting and some right sometimes downright weird things about buying in brisbane so lauren thanks very much for sharing all of that gold today
1: amazing thanks mike